Support for this NPR podcast and the following message come from Easy Cater, committed to helping companies solve food. From employee meal plans to on-site staffing to concierge ordering support. With corporate accounts, nationwide restaurant coverage, and payment by invoice. EasyCater.com. Hey there, shortwavers. Aaron Scott here. So we've talked on the show about how people know what to do to confront climate change massively clamp down on our collective carbon emissions, and massively ramp up renewable energy production. And that means building all sorts of wind turbines, solar panels, geothermal plants, and hydroelectric projects. But there are powerful groups working to stop these projects. And we're not talking here about the fossil fuel industry, at least not today. We're talking about other environmentalists using laws meant to protect the environment. So today on the show, we've got an episode for you from NPR's daily podcast, The Indicator, about how green laws are slowing down green projects and highlighting a tension between local and global environmentalism. Plus, there's going to be cute bats. NPR. J.B. Rule is pretty concerned about climate change. We're running out of time. We're losing ground. We are not keeping up with what's needed to get renewable energy on the ground. J.B. is a law professor at Vanderbilt University. And what he's saying is that America is really slow at building green infrastructure, you know, like solar panels and wind turbines. And he says a big reason America is so slow at this is because We've created all kinds of laws and regulations that allow people to challenge new infrastructure projects like highways, power plants and train stations. And that is great for getting local input on big projects and helping preserve communities, local landscapes and endangered species. But the irony is that a lot of these laws stopping us from building green infrastructure are themselves environmental laws. And JB knows this firsthand because he's worked as a lawyer with wind power companies. I became increasingly aware of how the laws are equally as effective against stopping green infrastructure if someone wants to. This is The Indicator from Planet Money. I'm Darian Woods. And I'm Adrian Ma. Today on the show, when environmental rules backfire. The story of a man who is trying to ring the alarm bell saying these 50-year-old laws are due for an overhaul. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Integrative Therapeutics with vitamins and supplements previously available only through practitioners, including Cortisol Manager. Unlock your best self with clinician-curated supplements from Integrative Therapeutics, now on Amazon. Support for NPR and the following message come from Indeed. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Get a $75 sponsored job credit at Indeed.com slash shortwave. Terms and conditions apply. So, Darian, today's show is about how building a low-carbon economy might collide with environmental laws. And you said you had an example to illustrate that. Yeah, all right. So, listen here. So, Adrian, meet the Indiana bat. It is this cute little bat found in the Midwest. It's brown. It's found in caves. I didn't know that bats could tweet. 
That's adorable. <laughs> and look, it's an endangered species. It's in decline. And the reason I bring it up is because in 2006, there was this proposed wind farm in Ohio, 70 wind turbines, this big project. Local neighbors didn't like the idea of these towering turbines being so close to their land. And they sued the wind turbine company for all kinds of things. But one particular complaint stuck. They said that the turbines might hurt the bats. About five of these bats might die every year after colliding with the turbines. And yeah, that's sad. It's, I'm the first person to say that is a very sad outcome. But it is small relative to the total Indiana bat population. And after years of legal fighting and courtrooms all around the country, the wind farm company eventually gave up. The project was abandoned in 2019. And that is great for the Indiana bat, but not so good for other bats or or really any wildlife affected by climate change. Like, take this other bat all the way across the Pacific Ocean, the fruit bat. These giant bats in Australia that are actually kind of cute in a goth kind of way. Like these little foxes wearing Dracula capes. (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe that's just a phase they're going through, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it could be. Um, And so now I've got you acquainted with these bats. But, you know, I'm sorry to say, Adrian, I've got bad news about these bats too. No, no more dead bats. (laughs) Once again, climate change is having a devastating impact on the fruit bats. Along with Australia's terrible wildfires, these intense heat waves are happening more often and it's killing the bats. So more wind turbines, wherever they are in the world, could be a lifesaver for these bats. So what you're saying, what was killing the Indiana bats could be good for the Australian bat, but what was good for the Australian bat could kill the Indiana bat? So, I mean, look, this is, this is a hard decision, but, you know, these wind turbines might kill a few Indiana bats, but they could indirectly save a bunch of fruit bats on the other side of the planet and help with slowing down the other kinds of harms to wildlife everywhere, not to mention reducing the hits to the economy from floods and fires. I mean, I guess this does illustrate the tension, though, about what we've been talking about here, which is global environmental concerns are sort of butting up against local environmental concerns. And that's exactly what this Vanderbilt law professor, J.B. Rule, was talking about, right? He says renewable energy projects struggle all around the country because of this. There is a long list of uh, challenges to wind and solar power facilities. And given the scale of America's climate change goals, this is a problem, right? Like, just, just get this. Researchers at Princeton looked at some scenarios, and they found that unless Americans drastically cut their electricity usage, probably not going to happen, we will need solar and wind generators covering land the size of Wyoming and Colorado. JB had been thinking that there had to be a better way. So he paired up with another law professor, James Saltzman, and they did what law professors do best. Right. So we're putting this issue in play, and we think it needs to be seriously discussed. One idea that has allowed a lot of renewable energy projects to get built is in Texas. The state built a one-stop shop for renewable energy permitting. And the key difference with this new direction here is that Texas overrode local laws that might block the projects, including environmental laws. It was an amazingly efficient process for getting that infrastructure on the ground, not without controversy. Uh, But it was, in a highly coordinated and efficient way, they put a lot of electric transmission infrastructure on the ground. JB says the federal government could take a similar approach. After all, he says it does have the power to kind of make exceptions for particular projects so they don't have to comply with every single regulation. And as an example, from a very 
different kind of big construction project you might have heard of, the border wall under the administration of former President Donald Trump. That administration was able to sort of protect that project from complying with certain federal, state, and local laws. Oh, that's the opposite extreme. And that's, I mean, we would discuss that only to show that that is within federal authority. It is possible. It is possible. Where in between is the right balance? Is it continuing to tweak the existing mosaic of laws here and there to try and speed things up? tweak after tweak after tweak, or do we need some broader and more fundamental overhaul or reform of the system? So what changes could be made in that middle ground? Something that can help with the climate crisis, but doesn't inadvertently worsen the biodiversity crisis, harming things like the Indiana bat. We called up somebody who lives and breathes this, Brent Keith. He's a senior policy advisor at the Nature Conservancy, which is a conservation nonprofit. Yeah, I'm I'm a lobbyist for nature or an advocate for nature, right? Brent agrees that a lot of green projects do get stalled, but he's skeptical that a large-scale rewrite of laws would make sense. I mean, for one thing, he's worried that some politicians might use it as an opportunity to strip away environmental laws completely. Instead, Brent says one way to speed up green projects might be to give federal agencies more funding, and that would help speed up their decision-making. And so instead of trying to rewrite laws from scratch, Brent is focused on adjustments to the system like a separate regulatory pathway for projects that help the environment. A project that's going to have a significant beneficial impact on the environment, we think ought to be able to move forward faster in in a sort of separate stream because of the positive benefits that getting those projects done sooner would have. Also, Brent says that the Nature Conservancy is trying to help renewable energy companies have better information about possible conflicts with bats and birds and grasslands ahead of time. The whole idea is to sort of um, deconflict the siting of renewable resources. So as this sort of nip and tuck, tweak it here, tweak it there version of environmental reform is going on, J.B. Rule, the law professor, he is seeing ice shelves break off in Antarctica, right? He's seeing historic heat waves and carbon emissions grow and grow. And he is worried that this is all going to be too little, too late. Given the scale of the challenge ahead, um, do you feel optimistic? Uh... I'm growing more pessimistic over time. I don't, um, I, think we're, I think we're continuing to fall behind. This week, the UN issued another report that backed up JB's view. But it did say there's still time to change course. This show was produced and fact-checked by Corey Bridges. It was engineered by Gilly Moon. Viet Le is our senior producer, and Kay Kincannon edits the show. The Indicator is a production of NPR. Holy, what the hell is this? That is terrifying. So not, not so cute now that you've seen a picture, Adrian? I, okay, well, actually, when you look at, when you zoom in on its face, yeah, it's, it's face is cute. cute, but it's like it's um, pretty terrifying how large it is. It looks like kind of like a seal grew um, dragon yeah, wings. It's, it's a pretty amazing animal. This message comes from NPR sponsor, ShipBob. ShipBob's warehouse management system can improve your efficiency, allow you to grow faster, and save you money all through one WMS platform. Get a free quote at shipbob.com. At this year's Oscars, Oppenheimer took home the award for Best Picture, Emma Stone and Robert Downey Jr. also picked up wins, and Ryan Gosling brought the Kennergy. 
For a recap of all the highlights, listen to the Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast from NPR.